Welcome to this edition of The Car Seat. Today's visitor on The Car Seat is Frank Weibert, Senior Visiting Fellow in the Government Department here at LSE. Frank has written widely on regulatory agencies, non-majoritarian institutions, as well as recently a book on the new regulatory space. Uh, Frank, today we're talking about regulatory agencies, uh, which we discussed at a recent car workshop uh, and so on. And um, why were regulatory agencies such an attractive policy tool in the past? Well, first of all, I think everybody recognised that the world of policymaking had become uh, very complicated and there was a need to mobilise expert views and evidence from natural sciences and social sciences. And on the whole, politicians are a pretty ignorant bunch. And so it was sensible to to look to expert bodies to mobilise this kind of knowledge There's another problem with politics, and that is the term horizon of politicians is uh, very short. There's a problem here today, it may be Greece, there's a problem here tomorrow, it could be Iran, the problem the next day could be China. But for certain types of problems, you just need continuity of attention, and expert bodies can provide that. And I think there's also an issue of trust. Nobody trusts a politician. They don't necessarily trust experts either. Um, But between the two evils, you might go for an expert. For example, this month um, there was a release of some results of a field trial of some GM wheat, which had been modified to be resistant to aphids. Um, The expert body, the uh, research station which looked at the trial, said um, they showed the wheat had been a failure. Politicians, on the other hand, are very reluctant to admit failure. So it's in that kind of area um, that expert bodies seem to have an advantage, even if we don't trust experts very much. I mean, regulatory agencies spread all over uh, the place, across sectors, across countries. Sometimes one wonders why, why do we need a regulatory body separate there where timing, consistency and expertise might not matter. At the same time, we also have sort of regulatory areas which have clearly run into trouble uh, and so on. I mean, what would you say... Why is that? Is it, is it too naive to only believe in experts and timing consistency? Well, I think one of the reasons for going with expert bodies was that people lost confidence simply in muddling through. Um, and that, that kind of muddling through culture was expressed here by the sort of view that Whitehall knows best. And once you depart from that, you move into the world of expert agencies Perhaps there was some naivety about how great an improvement expert bodies could bring. Um, And certainly we see every day there are ambiguities of context, of uncertainties about impact, um, which nobody can really assess, including the expert bodies. The one which is on the agenda at the moment is uh, should central banks like the US Fed or the Bank of England raise interest rates They don't quite know how to assess the current state of the economy in either case, nor do they quite know the impact of rising interest rates when they come. So this shows the limitations of expert bodies, but nevertheless, they're better than the alternatives. I mean, you've talked about um, ideas about unified rationality, so having everything in one body versus muddling through, which is very much a view about sort of multiple centres of knowledge maybe co-producing something and so on. Um, I, mean, I mean, you said experts' bodies and so on, but why is there always this kind of call for unified 
rationality. Well, un the call for unified rationality comes particularly from political scientists, and that is really a normative perspective. They like to think of politics as somehow having primacy over other systems of coordination, bringing everything together, authoritatively resolving disputes and that sort of thing. And uh, so they like to think that if it's going to play this unifying role, there is some kind of unifying rationality which underlies that role. It's very difficult for them to, um, to think otherwise. But I think we have to uh, recognize that um, there's very little or empirical evidence in favor of such a view. In fact, the empirical evidence runs in the other direction that uh, in politics we use heuristics, uh, shortcut methods of, of discourse. In the United States, uh, a long political broadcast is a 30-second soundbite. You don't get much reasoned discourse going on in 30 seconds. So it's a communication of shortcuts, and it produces polarization uh, rather than bringing people together. And it's associated with what is known as assimilation bias. That is, you don't change your um, views as a result of uh, uh, talking to somebody else with a different view. You get consolidated in your view, I get consolidated in my view. So one has to accept, I think, that uh, um, the rationality of politics is based on heuristics and it doesn't provide a unified rationality. But that ideal is obviously very attractive as a normative ideal. And another trend one has diagnosed in, in the study of regulators, but also empirically one can observe as a broadening of objectives. So in energy, regulators no longer just do competition and security supply and fairness. They also now do climate change and intergenerational justice questions. Uh, uh, they fix our tariffs, at least at the moment, um, or the type of tariffs we can choose from. Um, so what do you think, why did that happen, this broadening of objectives away from this view of a regulator is there to be like the substitute for the market, should look at competition only? I think uh, one factor was that dealing with the consumer has uh, been much more difficult uh, than was anticipated. The assumption was that uh, competition would benefit the consumer and therefore that bringing in competition would end that particular story. In fact, um, consumer behavior is, is, is much more uninformed than uh, one assumed or regulators assumed. And so regulators have had to move um, uh, to essentially represent what they consider to be the best interests of consumers. And that has meant a broadening role. I think also they have recognized that um, markets don't just happen. Sometimes preconditions have to be established, and so there's been a much more active role in setting the conditions of markets. And I think the third factor has been behavior. Um, economists had rather forgotten that um, markets don't work unless people behave. If you enter into a contract with no intention of keeping a contract, and the contract is meaningless, but markets depend on contracts. And so regulators have had to address behavioural issues such as conduct of business and that means stepping again quite away from competition as being the sole focus of attention. So I think those are the three main factors. And I mean, I mean you mentioned already the relationship between politics and agencies is sort of central to much 
at least political science debate about agencies and so on. So, um, and I mean, how would you say should we develop our understanding of the relationship between politics and regulators, which is often the view of bad politics, nice technocracy, or it is evil bureaucracy and democratic will? Um, I mean, can we go beyond these sort of stark dichotomies? Well, I think, first of all, one has to recognise there are going to be fluctuating boundaries between the two. There's no ideal positioning of one vis-à-vis the other. The relationship will always uh, be changing. Um, Secondly, I think it's not a a zero-sum game. There are certain things which regulators can do which are beneficial for politics. For example, um, they can help correct for biased outputs in in politics by looking at, say, university admissions or access to health services. They can keep an eye on some outputs of politics which are actually important for the credibility of politics. Where I think we should be concerned is about this so-called adaptive bias, that regulators, by their nature, look forward uh, quite a long way. Um, Politicians look forward, as I was saying, to a very limited extent. And that gives regulators an advantage in saying, we can see these problems coming before you, we know the answers, give it to us. And there has been a tendency, I think, for increasing number of issues to be handed to regulators. And that, I think, does have a potential problem of unbalancing systems relationships. And how would you... I mean, are there some constitutional fixes to do this, or is that more something which is implicit in the political system, an implicit bargain between regulators and politics to to deal with that relationship? Well, I have a particular interest in constitutions, and I would say that systems relationships are to be held in place or monitored through constitutions. And so we have to think a bit more about the content of constitutions as a way of containing um, the habits and practices of modern government. But that means really getting away from the sort of 18th century model which we all use. Frank, thank you very, very much.